Hello everybody and thank you for joining me for this new episode of The Daily Optimist. Today is March 2nd and you know as we are in March it is getting closer to the one year official anniversary of uh, the pandemic lockdown if you will in this country of the US. Uh, you know if you're listening from other parts of the world it, you may have had a different experience but here in the US it was about March 14th that we had the official lockdown begin. So as we think about what that year has done to us, we mostly think of it in negative terms. I'm going to do my best over the course of this month to try to help us understand it in different terms, if you will. And while it may not be necessarily a a giant positive, there may be some things that we can extract out of it that lead us more into a positive mindset, at least. So, let's hope we can get there together. I'm going to keep working on that for myself and hopefully for all of you as well. Also, March is Women's History Month, and it shouldn't be relegated to one month. Just like Black History Month was last month, Women's History is uh, not relegated to a month. Those histories are all the time history. And we need to remember that as we talk about them and learn about them. So, nonetheless... I'm going to give you a important figure in women's history. And, you know, I'll, I'll try to do something like this every day. You know, yesterday I gave you a, a fact, and today I'll just give you a person. And I'm going to give you Elizabeth Cady Stanton. If you don't know who Elizabeth Cady Stanton was, she's an important figure in the women's rights movement. She was one of the leading figures, actually. And uh, you probably know the name Susan B. Anthony, but Elizabeth Cady Stanton was right alongside with her. So, there's somebody for you to look into. Alright, so enjoy learning more about her. And uh, I hope that uh, whatever you're doing today, you're finding some success and you're finding a positive light. Alright, let's get to our stories. Thank you for joining me. My name, of course, is Elijah Manning, and you are listening to... The Daily Optimist. My first news story today is going to come from Yemen. So in Yemen, there has been a war going on for uh, like six years or so. And what's happening now is... The hunger has been uh, used as a form of uh, weaponry in Yemen. Uh, so right now, there is a huge famine that, uh, according to Jen, Jen England, he is the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, he says, We are seeing a relentless countdown to a possible famine that the world hasn't seen since Ethiopia in the 1980s. And if you know anything about that, that was a enormous uh, famine that, that went across all of uh, Ethiopia. And um, that is what's possibly happening in Yemen right now. And uh, according to this article from NPR, nearly 50,000 Yemen, Yemenis are already starving to death, and 16 million will go hungry this year, and that's according to the UN. Um, 
the UN is attempting to uh, raise $3.85 billion in humanitarian aid. Uh, many of the countries that supply this were not able to give as much last year due to the pandemic. Um, so right now, they're looking at um, a much smaller amount than they were uh, hoping for. The International Rescue Committee called the $2 billion that they did raise, uh, or the $2 billion shortfall, rather, a failure of humanity. So uh, they're very behind on trying to gain this. So again, what has happened is there is a war going on between um, you know, some the Yemen, it's a kind of a civil war, if you will. There's fighting going on from the uh, Yemen militant group called the Houthi, and they are fighting against the government of Yemen. Um, so it's been a back and forth, and it started in 2014. So I guess this is year seven, not six. Um, there have been more than 233,000 people that have already died in this war, and there's, you know... Iran is backing the the militant group. Um, Saudi Arabia has been backing the um, the government. So it's just a big back and forth. And oftentimes, what happens is the people uh, are the ones who suffer. So there's also like reports from the UN that COVID nineteen is not even a, a big concern compared to other diseases that are happening and you know famine is more more pressing at this moment um you know there the administration in the u.s is um trying now to uh end support for the war and basically try to find a peaceful diplomatic end to it so there, um, the U.S. has supported the Saudis during both the Obama and Trump administrations, but now they're looking to try to end it with diplomatic. And I know the U.S. isn't um, like that movie Team America World Police, but uh, you know, oftentimes we are a front runner in attempting to do things like this. So the U.N. and uh, as well working with the U.S. can hopefully find some kind of conclusion to this where it looks like, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of children and, and adults who are just being displaced and having to dig through scraps and garbages to be able to get food. So hopefully there will be some kind of end to that sooner rather than later. My next report has to do with um, the U.S. and... Um, COVID specifically, how it is hurting children in the U.S. and in uh, some of the worst states uh, are uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, and New Mexico, and then Alabama are the states where they've been hit the hardest. Um, Minnesota and Utah were places where children were least harsh uh, I, I guess they had the least harshness to to their things. Washington, New Hampshire, and North Dakota were on the uh, top five for you know. I, I know I, it, the 
to say best is not a great scenario because it's not best for anybody, but they were dealt with it the best in support of children. So a lot of this has to go with the fact that there's some high poverty rates where there's 41% of parents making less than 25000 per year reported are not having enough to eat. This is according to the NBC article that I found, NBC News article. Um, the report found that near that children of color were particularly vulnerable to hunger. Nearly 30% of black households and one in four Hispanic families said they sometimes or often didn't have enough food to eat, according to the report. That's nearly twice the figure for white families. So that is a big, big disparity in there. Um, there's also issues of schooling where families, um, minority families have a harder time either sending the kids to school or being able to have access to the internet to be able to log on virtually. So that is a big disparity as well. Um, this is comes from uh, a lot of this stuff comes from Save the Children. They are a uh, a group, a, a worldwide group, and they did some research over. I think it was from May until December uh, that their report actually took place. So there's a one story of a, a young lady who um, lost her job. She's a single mother, and she's had another child. She has a four-year-old already. She had another child during the pandemic, lost her home due to a fire, um, had to rely on help from family who also have to deal with it. Um, this is, you know, it's just not not easy for, for many people. Um, so one particular graph from the U.S. Census Bureau is what was looked at by the Save the Children. And it's the poorest families are more likely to experience pandemic-related hardships. Families with households uh, have household income under twenty-five thousand reported these challenges: difficulty paying bills, sixty-six percent; lost jobs or wages, sixty-one percent; internet always uh, not always available, forty-three percent; not enough food, forty-one percent; behind on rental payments, thirty percent; and no live contact with teachers, twenty-two percent. And right now, we are in the waiting period for the government to supply stimulus checks again to people who need it. <sighs> it is just a difficult thing to think about in terms of you know, the war in Yemen being used as a tool to, to hurt people, and then the pandemic here, not people not, uh, or the government not supporting in the same way and you know to think that there are just children who are deeply affected by this is tragic you know there's um there's worry that it won't be just this year has affected children that it will last and have lasting effects because you know as children grow up and, and evolve in in the world um, this is going to stick with them in a, in a different way. So how is it going to play out over the next 10 years, for instance? We don't know for certain. But uh, hopefully we start getting some help to those who are desperately in need. All right. That's enough of that news. 
I'm going to switch over and we'll do some positive news. I'll be back in a moment. My first positive news story is actually going to come about food in a positive way, thankfully. So in Atlanta, there is a new uh, community forest garden thing. <laughs> I forget the actual term that they they try to use to, um, to, to name it, but um, it is basically a giant area. It used to be a, a pecan farm. And it's the food forest at Brown's Mill. That's what it is. Food forest at Brown Mill project. And it contains 2,500 edible and medicinal plants available to anyone in need. All right. This is according to the Good News Network article. So in Atlanta, there's uh, about 125,000 people that live in areas defined as food deserts. And a food desert is where they have uh, a, a large distance between grocery stores. So that it takes them uh, in this community a half hour on a bus to get to the nearest grocery store. So they have created this um, garden that uh, will allow people to to come in and take what they need um, and bring it home and uh, use it. So Michael McCord, he is a local arborist, arborist. He says access to green space and healthy foods is very important. And that's part of our mission. Uh, so... They're, uh, you know, anybody can come through, walk through, as Atlanta City Councilwoman uh, Carla Smith said to CNN, it's really a park for everyone. Every time I go, there's a community there who respects and appreciates the fresh, healthy foods. There's a mentality there that people know to only take what they need. Uh, there have been very, very few reports of anybody, you know, taking more than, than they should. Um, and it's you know, just a wonderful way to have a community be able to have food that they can't get in other places because it's, you know, healthier foods, fruits and vegetables and other produce. Um, there's mushrooms and things like that. And there's an apiary for honey production. There's boardwalks. So not only that it, food, it's just also a very peaceful and uh, Zen-like place. Um, so it's wonderful that they're doing that for the community and they have the ability to help out their community and get them some some food. So congrats to them. I hope uh, more more cities uh, attempt to do these kinds of things to help out people in need. My next story comes from uh, the UK, and it is about uh, a new ebook called Born in Lockdown, and it features 277 authors who all shared one profound experience, and this is according to Positive.News uh, article. And um, so what happened is there's a, uh, a space for women, uh, mothers specifically, called Mothership Writers. It was founded two years ago. Um, and it's a, basically a way for them to come and use motherhood. So according to, um, uh, Amelia Hall, she's the founder of Mothership, Mothership Writers, a creative writing program for new moms. Um, she said so much for Cyril Connolly and his pram in the hall. I'm referring to 
uh, a famous quote by Connolly. We use new motherhood as a catalyst for creativity, and it's amazing to see at first hand the transformational effects. So what they did over um, the beginning of lockdown is they were hoping to reach about 20 mothers who would, you know, write down thoughts and, um, you know, little journal entries, if you will, about being a mother in lockdown, being a first-time mother or a second-time mother, whatever the case may be, just experiences that you're having. And it eventually reached 277 new mothers. Um, it's free to download, and there's donations that will go to um, SANS. It's a charity that is uh, helps support those affected by the death of a baby. Within 24 hours of its launch, it downloaded. It was downloaded two thousand times and had raised two thousand seven hundred euros. Um, so you know, like I said, it's just these little blurbs that are raw and honest and real, and uh, from these new mothers or new babies because it, some mothers have had uh, you know had a baby already. Um, I say new because it was the lockdown, new to the lockdown. So these mothers um, that gave birth. And just, again, it's about their experiences and about how they felt um, and how they were looking to feel supported and how this kind of gave them a way to have a voice and, and feel supported and, and part of a something larger than themselves and to know that there was a community of togetherness around them. Um, so uh, the... Miss Hall says, uh, describes the collection as an extraordinary record of this time in history, full of unflinchingly honest accounts, pain and hardship, but above all, beaming through such love and hope. Um, she says, despite the pain and hardship, such love and hope shine through. Okay, so that is one of one of the key things. Um, one of her favorite lines is. I don't know who wrote it in, in the book, but it goes like this. The very thing keeping you apart right now will one day bond you together. So it's an interesting perspective on the lockdowns in general. All right. So it's a way, again, to have these mothers be able to talk, feel together in a different sense. And now it's time to switch over to the positive step of the day or positive thought, whatever the case may be, the positivity. So my my thought for today is going to be about what does it mean to be together? You know, we talked about community and togetherness doesn't have to be as wide ranging as a community. It can be um, a smaller knit of people. But what is togetherness and how can we... Um, how can we feel united with each other? How can we stay connected and feel like we are all going towards the same purpose, even if it's not necessarily, um, you know, I don't want you to think of it in a, a, a political sense. I don't want you to think of it in a, like, a religious sense. I want you to think of it in, like, a pursuit of happiness sense. All right. We all kind of have that pursuit of happiness. And sometimes you know, especially in a pandemic, we feel distance from one another, but how can we, how can we feel connected and together, even if we're not all the time, all right, just want you to think about that, 
And my quote today is going to come from Susie uh, Kasim. She's an American writer, poet, philosopher. And her quote goes like this. When two brothers are busy fighting, an evil man can easily attack and rob their poor mother. Mankind should always stay united, standing shoulder to shoulder, so evil can never cheat and divide them. One more time. When two brothers are busy fighting, an evil man can easily attack and rob their poor mother. Mankind should always stay united, standing shoulder to shoulder, so evil can never cheat and divide them. And as we look for ways to stay together, we have to find the positive reasons that we want to stay together. We want to stay united. And that is because those stories of famine and hunger and displacement, there's a garden right? There's a garden that brings people together. There's a book that brings people together. So there are ways that we can cut through the madness and this division that we have all the time and bring ourselves together to serve a purpose. Mothers who are apart from experiencing it with other mothers, they still have got to share it with each other through this book. There are communities that don't have food, but one community is building up a, 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 a forest of food to help each other. Staying united. Staying united, working together. Alright, that's where we need to be. That's where we need to keep heading. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode of The Daily Optimist. I appreciate each and every one of you. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share. Rate so that other people can find it. Subscribe so you never miss it. And share with anybody who needs a little positivity and optimism in their day. I appreciate you all for listening. Thank you very much for joining me. I'll be with you again tomorrow. But until then, everybody, please be well.